0: Hi, I'm Jacob.
1: And I'm Jessica.
0: Welcome to It, the podcast where we make wild guesses about fake TV crimes.
1: Without any clues, context, or apparently accuracy. All right, let's find out.
0: Who was right.
1: Who was wrong.
0: And who is dead. There's a game that I used to play with Jessica, and by used to, I mean... I still do. She has more of an R&B background than I do, mm-hmm. and I definitely have much more of a Midwest classic rock kind of background. Mm-hmm. So there was a game I would play with her when, we, whenever we would be in a grocery store or a drugstore, just out shopping somewhere, and the game was simply, "Who is this?" And she would have to stop and listen to whatever song was coming in over the uh, over the loudspeaker. And the rules of the game were: I would only ask her, "Who is this?" When it was either Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd. That's it. That's it. It had to be Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd. All she had to do, 50-50 chance, choose Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd. You'd be surprised <laughs> how I often mean, she chose wrong. 50-50, <laughs> 50-50 chance. 50-50 chance.
1: <laughs> Not a lot of familiarity.
0: <laughs> there are some classic rock nerd out there going like, no! Actually, he's... Right here, sitting across from you. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of classic rock, this week we're not doing classic rock, but we are doing a classic mystery.
1: We are.
0: What are we doing?
1: We are doing the ABC Murders. Starring John Malkovich Ooh. and Rupert Grint. Whoa!
0: And more. Wait a minute, Rupert Grint—is this the guy from Harry Potter? Yes. Oh my God! So, are, can we like, can we just say like, is Expelleramus on the table, like, or is it like one of the what are the what are the curses, <laughs> the horrible curses, or the some of the forbidden hexes? Uh, what are they called?
1: Crucius.
0: Crucius. Like, what, but that's them. just the one that that's just the one that like makes you like, is painful. Is it like I think it's like Avacadavra or something yeah, like that? Yeah. Something about a cadaver in there or something. But what are those? They're, what are they called though? They're like the forbidden charms or something.
1: The killing curse. The
0: killing Avakadavra. curse. Avocadavra. Okay, I got it right. Yeah, yeah I yeah. knew there was cadaver in there somewhere. Yeah. So unforgivable it's
1: magic, curses.
0: Unforgivable curses. Okay. Imperio. Imperio, yeah, because that's the commanding one. And Crucio. Crucio, which is pain.
1: Yeah. And then
0: avocadaver. Yeah. Avacadavra, which just sounds like it should be a sandwich order. Avacadavra? Or or some type of fish. What is this? Well, this is the molting stage of the abacadaver. <laughs> but I have to I, I have to think that it, magic is kind of off the table for
1: this. Yeah. Okay. There's it, this is definitely so. This is a Hercule Perrault.
0: Ooh, Hercule Poirot. Yeah.
1: So he is taking on. One of the most classic. It's kind of like playing King Lear or Queen oh. Elizabeth or something. Like this is a big deal to be in the list of people that makes a Her- Hercule Poirot film oh. and gets to play him. Yeah. As
0: opposed to Sherlock Holmes, who will just sleep with anybody. Yeah. He'll let anybody. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes will let anybody play him. Hercule Perrault. You can tell by the French name. Hercule Perrault has class.
1: Well, it's Belgian, actually. Oh,
0: okay, Belgian. Yes,
1: so I'll just give a little background. Please
0: do, because I am completely unfamiliar, other than he has to have a mustache.
1: Yes, he does. And we found out in, apparently, well, I don't know if this was in any of the others, but I understand in the latest Kenneth Branagh version, we find out that it's because he has some sort of... um, Slash. On oh, from the Great lip. War. And so, yeah, that's well, it's not from the Great War because oh. this first, well, I don't know, it depends. Her cool Okay, I'm gonna read. Please do. So. Hercule Poirot is a fictional Belgian detective. Belgian, not French. Yeah, created by British writer Agatha Christie. Is this where you want to step in with the Agatha Christie factoid? Thank
0: you so much. (laughs) I appreciate you doing that because this is the only Agatha Christie factoid I know. And I love this factoid and I trot it out any chance I get. So now it's your turn. Agatha Christie is the number three best best-selling author of all time, period. You've got the Bible... You've got Shakespeare, and then you've got Agatha Christie. Think about that. The Bible, Shakespeare, Agatha Christie. Suck on that, Stephen King. Yeah, I
1: know.
0: (laughs) Actually, you know what? I'm sure Stephen King is fast catching up.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So Poirot is one of Christie's most famous, one, because she has many, oh as we've god. established. Yes. She has lots of books. Is one of Christie's most famous and long-running characters, appearing in 33 novels, two plays, and more than 50 short stories. Oh my god! I'm
0: sorry, I'm sorry. Go back to the beginning. of that. What were those numbers again?
1: 33 novels. Holy smokes. Two plays, and more than 50 short stories. Oh my goodness. And just to give you a window here. Published between 1920
0: and 1975. She died in 1976.
1: Wow. Wow. So it's, like I said, been portrayed on radio, in film, and on television by, by various actors, including John Moffat, who did was on BBC Radio, mm-hmm. very famous, Albert Finney, Peter Ustinov, Ian Holm, Tony Randall, Alfred Molina, Orson Welles. Most- Orson
0: Welles? Yes. Wow.
1: Uh, obviously, Kenneth Brana has done two films sure. now. David Suchet is probably for those masterpiece PBS watchers the most famous. I, Aro.
0: I think I have seen him like in yes. dimly lit. Dimly lit memories of youth.
1: Yeah. Well, he's he that mustache is not the Kenneth Branagh. Mustache. No, no,
0: it's a very contained kind Ken of tweed, curled up very at the waxed, ends. Yes.
1: Very small, like yes. almost just a little bit larger than or wider than his nose, but yeah, you know, just barely, and very black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, jet black. Jet black. And then John Malkovich now, which is what we're going to be watching right now. And there are so many others, so many others. There's a, a jap, two maybe Japanese. Perots and some uh More
0: Perot to just them.
1: Way more. Charles Lawton.
0: She was... went right by that pun.
1: I did. What was that? <laughs> I said
0: more perot to them.
1: Oh. <laughs> so fun stuff about him. This is this is really inside baseball on okay. mystery, but I want to read it because Please. we are talking about mystery shows on this show. And so there's there's yeah. Okay. I'll so, allow it. Yeah. Okay, great. Poirot's name is derived from two other fictional detectives. She stole! <laughs> okay, and this is Wikipedia, so. Take grain it for of salt. Much, a grain of salt. The first, Marie Belloc Loudens, which is, that's a writer, Hercule, Hercule Papo, which I'm like, that's a direct steal. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, that's, not even a, that's not even a little steal. That's a. I'm just gonna take this thing.
1: Yeah, this is. I mean, after Shakespeare, right? Like just like Shakespeare.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're just gonna take this. Yeah, we'll make it better, but we're taking it. Yeah, and then that's a really nice thing you got there. Uh, don't mind me. I'm just gonna make this a little better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then Frank Howell Evans is Monsieur (laughs) Poire. A retired Belgian police officer living in London—a complete rip-off. It's so like Shakespeare. She she did. She just polished it up and was like, "I'm making it my own." I I'm like making it my so own. Much.
0: I'm gonna put a little English on this and uh, spin it and uh, call it my own. There yeah. you go. Maybe that's where the term like, "put a little English on the ball" came from. They're just like, oh. put a little English, put a little English on the story. <laughs> <Steel>. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's also a striking resemblance to another character by A.E.W. Mason who also wrote A Fictional Detective. That sounds
0: like a very British name, A.E.W. Mason, <laughs> yes. for all of your office needs.
1: <laughs> and here's some other interesting stuff about him. So Christie's Poirot was clearly the result of her early development of the detective in her first book, written in 1916 and published <sighs> in 1920. Belgium's occupation by Germany during World War I provided a plausible explanation for why such a skilled detective would be available to solve mysteries in the English country house oh, uh, or in English yeah, countryside. Sure. At the time of Christie's writing, it was considered patriotic to express sympathy towards the Belgians since the invasion of their country had constituted Britain's cause Belie, for entering World War One, and the British wartime propaganda emphasized the, quote, rape of Belgium. So that's, an I feel like, a totally different, like I-, I feel like that's so much of an interesting background because we a lot of people assume he's French, but he's yeah. Belgian, and this is Belgian, and this is very important, like, historically. Yeah, clearly. It, but not important, really, when you watch the show. But just a little background.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, also, I get, like, but what, that's interesting. Because hearing that they, a lot of the British propaganda was like, we must protect the Belgians. like They couldn't say France because Britain and France have been at war with each other for hundreds of years. They can't say, yes. let's go sa- help France. Yes. Eh, fuck them, they're French. <laughs> but you can, if you could like, oh, no, they're Belgian. it's belgium we're concerned about they've got the very best fries yes so no we need to go help belgium and so of course yeah and i and i honestly i do wonder like how important that distinction is in like again making him so popular a character like would the british have embraced a french detective as much
1: yeah right i'm not not. sure
0: i'm not sure they would have yeah Yeah.
1: so yeah very i think that it's very interesting whether it figures in this show at all.
0: who, who knows? knows? There's just a little inside baseball for you. But speaking about this show, this is going to be this is going to be a test of endurance, fellow <laughs> <It> listeners <is. laughs> because this is in true are we we're not watching this on PBS. What are we watching this on?
1: I think we're watching on Prime.
0: Okay. We're watching this on Prime, but this is very definitely in the tradition of a masterpiece theater kind of thing where this is one long story over three episodes. So,
1: three Oof. episodes that are each 58 minutes.
0: Right. So we got we got 3 hours of watching ahead of us. Yeah. Um and I I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that like we're going to try and do this. Like we're only giving ourselves till the teaser to do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: we're not even going we're we're just going to we're just going to roll in and see what happens cuz we can't We haven't, we haven't seen an episode because if we saw it, like, because it's only three episodes, it's not like we could watch the pilot, get a little sense of how the show works, watch a couple episodes and then guess because it's, it introduces the thing in the beginning and then it solves it at the end. We, like, we can't, we can't get too many clues. No. So we're going to, we're going to go in blind until the very end, essentially, which, you know what? It's Agatha Christie. She's, as we have just gone over, she is a master of the mystery. Yeah. So frankly, even if we had all the clues in the world... I'm not sure we'd come up with the right answer.
1: Um, me too. I agree. Yeah. Do you want the log lines? I think of that this? sounds
0: fantastic. Oh, yeah. d- before we do log lines, mm. did they? Do- should we fill out our bingo cards?
1: Oh, absolutely. It is a crime, drama, mystery.
0: Crime, drama, mystery, and I think we can put a square in there for facial hair. Crime, drama, mystery, facial hair, hair, miniseries.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And Malkovich. Check, check,
1: check. Ah. Bingo. <laughs> So the log line is in 1933. Mm. Retired detective Hercule Poirot is targeted by a taunting killer who sends ah, letters. The Gaul! Signed A, B, C, which Poirot must decode in order to discover the identity of the murderer. When he informs Scotland Yard. They ignore his fears, and soon enough, a series of killings begins.
0: <gasps> this is—it's got to be a hard line, though, if you're a police person, if you're a police detective. I mean, I can forgive Lestrade, and was this one uh, Inspector Japp?
1: Yeah, that's no, Japp. Yeah. And I then, can. Um, Rupert Grimp is pl- Grint is playing Inspector Crom, Chrome, I think, okay. or Crom. We'll see how he, they pronounce it.
0: But to again, to be fair, like, I mean. An eccentric, retired detective. A
1: guy wandering around town wandering in around a town white linen suit. In a
0: white linen suit <laughs> with a fancy mustache with a foreign accent comes in and says, I have a crime that you need to solve. All right, buddy. Stand over there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how? Like, how, Like, we live in L.A. Let's be honest. They probably get a lot of people walking in being like, I've seen the pigeons with the messages of the murders all right there, buddy, you stand over there. I mean, come on. All I'm saying is I feel for the cops because the percentages of those coming in cannot be high. I'm so glad that Agatha Christie figured out a way to solve it all for us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. What else? I, some couple things we want to... Two things sure. about this. Uh, it's directed by Alex Gabassi, who I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right, but he does, his work is very stylized so this we're really going to be watching a beautiful
0: okay um, i love beautiful show stars. and he
1: works with he's worked a couple times with this one cinematographer joel i think it's cohen devon <sighs> and they both do this just really high style i don't what's the term for that in film high, highly stylized high, I think that's all highly stylized uh i would say film noir i mean we'll we'll see but it's just gonna be. I think it's just gonna be really beautiful. And the hair and hair and makeup team on this show is extensive, more than the costume and wardrobe people. Oh wow! And then the music, keep an ear out for this, mm-hmm. is done by Isabel Waller Bridge, who is the sister oh. to Phoebe Waller Bridge from Fleabag. Yes, and, and she's a other and
0: she's amazing. Like her music is just yeah, yeah. It's always very dramatic and.
1: Well, and funny and thoughtful. I mean, yeah, so exciting stuff.
0: Okay. Well, this is great. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to dive in and we'll be right back with some guessing. woo
1: And we're back.
0: We are. We are back. We are back and we have a confession. We did it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we traveled back in time to 1933 we did not we did not travel back in time but we are back and we do have a bit of a confession we this is going to be a little bit of a we're we're ta- we're kind of taking this away from the guessing game today apparently and we're going to move it more into like the mcneil Lehrer news hour and that we're going to have a bit of a debate we're going to have a debate over who actually did this.
1: <laughs> good. Yeah. I mean, there's a good chance. Right. I admit. But I am going to take the side that we don't actually know who the murderer is. Right.
0: She's going to take the Led Zeppelin side. I'm going to take the Pink Floyd side. Yeah. <laughs> that we absolutely know who the murderer is. Yes. Yes. So here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. We were, I knew that this was a danger. I knew that this was something that could possibly happen is that uh, we could know who the killer was and the whole show would be the kind of cat and mouse game as to like how Hercule catches the killer. So we literally, like the first actual character we see is a gentleman whose name is ABC. Uh, Oh, yeah. Alexander
1: Dumont Cust.
0: No, Alexander B. something Cust. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, Bonaparte.
1: Bonaparte. Right?
0: Alexander Der Bonaparte, Bonaparte Cust. Cust. And we see him walking out of a train station. And we'll get to the train station because, oh, my goodness, this is such a stylized show. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's really pretty. You, like, you could see all the money behind it. <laughs> but he walks out of the train station. There he is. He goes and lets a room in a very seedy bag house. And he's just like... And the woman who's letting him the room is like, how long will you be staying? And he's like, well, it depends on how my endeavors turn out. Ha ha ha. And he's got a key. He's got a typewriter and he's typing up letters to we think he's the one who's typing letters to Poirot. And there you go. So pretty immediately and later on, we see him go to the scene of the woman who is the first murder victim. We see him go to the scene of the murder victim. We don't actually see him kill her, but we do see him do this. So all evidence points to the fact that this is our guy. This is our guy, and this is who it is. Jessica wants to... uh, She's going to take a big swing, and she's going to say it's not this guy. Tell us why it's not this guy.
1: Okay, so it did look that way at the very, you know... Very beginning, everything at first blush, everything that you just said, we watched up until up until there was a body. Poirot sees the body
0: of Alice Asher, the first woman
1: in Andover. In Andover, Alice Asher in Andover, (laughs) and we know there are going to be three murders, so we assume the second murder is probably going to be a B, right, in like Brighton.
0: (laughs) Probably, it would not surprise me if it was in Brighton.
1: And I don't know where the C would be. Castle on Tyne or something. Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea is Chelsea a place? Isn't it? I don't know about. But it's
0: London. maybe it's like so. I don't know either. In any event, point being, point yes, being,
1: I have the pro. Likely. Jessica has the con. Yes. <laughs>
0: Jessica, tell us the con as to why this man so, is. So
1: so I decided I was going to search very carefully on the internet, and I asked, "Is Cust the murderer?" In the ABC murders. Oh, wait a minute. How was that carefully?
0: I was very careful. I straight up asked Google if he was the one was who did it. Because I was just going to be
1: like, <laughs> yes or no, maybe. it would just say yes or no. Or there would be like a line. So there was a line where it said somebody met or got the idea for the murders by...
0: Running into cust.
1: cust but Running into cust. And... At a coffee uh, place. Sure. So I... It it wasn't like Agatha Christie. Uh, It was another name. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, I haven't seen this Mm -hmm. name in the cast list for the show or the dramatist personae. So this could you could be right but i'm just gonna take the side of it you're gonna,
0: just gonna take that side because i is...
1: did a lot of research and i want to watch this, <laughs> this show
0: <laughs> all right all right so there you have it she we those are our guesses i think that it is alexander bonaparte cust she says that it is not alexander bonaparte cust she doesn't know who it is do you want to make any guesses as to who it is
1: I think it's going to be somebody who runs into Cust <laughs> at a coffee at a shop, coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> and gets the ideas.
0: Right, and we don't even need motive. The motive is spelled out. He wants to humiliate Poirot. Yeah, he wants to humiliate Poirot and give him one last case that to best Poirot. So, yeah, I mean, it's, that's clear that that's a motive. So you don't even need a motive. Like we've got the motive. I just want to see like like who are they? Like are they an old like. Are they an old rival, an old rival detective from Belgium? Is it somebody from Scotland Yard who is upset with them? Because there's this whole scene where, like, he goes to Scotland Yard to talk to the new detective because Japp has retired, so he's going to talk to Chrome. We found out that it's pronounced Chrome, and it's not Chrome, it is Chrome. And that is portrayed by Rupert Grint. And Rupert Grint has a Fabulous mustache. I take that back. It's not fabulous. It's just fabulous because you're all like, oh, look, Ron Weasley has a mustache. (laughs) Good for you, Ron Weasley.
1: And he is great. I mean, I know he's been on Broadway and he's been all over TV and film doing other things. I haven't seen any of them, I guess. So I'm really embarrassed to say this, but I'm watching him and I'm like, he is great.
0: He's got some attitude.
1: Yeah, he's got a lot of attitude and he... oh and he's at the funeral and he looks genuinely like sad upset, and yeah. upset that chap is dead and
0: Cuz Jap dies. Quero yeah. goes to Should we just talk plot for a second before we get sure. to So here's the thing. So it starts out uh, with a little kind of teaser it start my lord it starts out high stylized yeah. like like it starts out the camera is inside a typewriter and the typewriter is like they make it sound as if this typewriter is this huge cacophonous thing i mean it is a cacophonous thing yes. but like everything is like so stylized so dramatic so raised and boom 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 here the is the sound
1: it. design in this show is it's great every single it's moment great.
0: and then it goes from inside of a typewriter to train tracks and then you're following these train tracks and then the train tracks in this stylized way kind of like suddenly it's not that they're on the earth they're just these train tracks as if like you mentioned the beginning of westworld where like they're yeah. laying these strings that become the form of a body that's exactly what these train tracks do the yeah. train tracks kind of like peel up in a way and you're just watching them outline the form of a figure in this like kind of fetal, fetal position, position yeah. it's it's beautiful and like literally within the first like minute of this you're like oh yeah this show's got a lot of money After the title sequence, Alexander Bonaparte Cust comes out of the train station in London, lets a room from a very shady lady (laughs) who, uh, like, there's bedbugs in the room, and her daughter is helping the upstairs tenant with a bad back problem. Yeah. And she's, um, she's moaning a lot as she does it, and there's lots of thump, thump noises. And then she sells out her daughter to Alexander. She's just like, you book her through me, and she's this much, and you pay in cash up front. And it's like, whoa, lady! my word anyways it is a very down on its heels place even for 1933 but he's there he's got his he's got his wares he's got his typewriter and we're meant to think that he's sending these letters to poirot poirot we see him he's trying to fight time by dyeing his beard black so poirot let's talk facial hair for poirot for a second here he has just a regular looking goatee yeah that's it. Just a goatee. Regular looking goatee. Yeah. And I wanted to know It's
1: very trimmed. It's very trimmed but it, and it's very no stylized. There's no
0: curly cute. Like the Poirot from the 70s or 80s on masterpiece just like perfect little perfect little handlebar mustache. The Poirot of Kenneth Branagh, like the mustache that could conquer like <laughs> could conquer Europe on its own. Like yeah. his his mustache is practically a kaiju in those movies.
1: Wait, tell me what that word is. That
0: is like Godzilla.
1: Oh, oh, yes. It's practically, it's a huge
0: monster. Like that joke, the whole, the whole, this, I'm going to tell you this joke because I'm fond of this joke. They had the whole thing for Death on the Nile where it's just like only in theaters because let's face it, a TV is too small for his mustache. (laughs) So true. So, so it's a little disappointing to see John Malkovich just has, you know, a normal, a normal goatee. Trimmed, yeah. Trimmed goatee. Hmm. Anyways. He's dying it black because it, the whole Alexanders or whomever's voice over to him is saying that he feels old and he looked old. So clearly age and rolling back the clock is going to be a big thing for this. So he's yeah. dyeing his beard black. After he does that, he looks at his letters. And he takes the letters into the police station to talk to his old friend, Inspector Jap. Inspector Jap has retired, so he waits for Inspector Chrome. Inspector Chrome refuses to see him. So... He hikes up a hill to find Inspector Jack at his, Jap at his house and he's Inspector Jap is tending his garden and he's just like look you got to let it go these kids they're just kids they want to make a name for themselves and you're getting too bothered by all these people sending you hate mail
1: because other people are sending him letters as well. and it's all hate mail. It's
0: all hate mail. and to be fair, they're all like, get out of town froggy. And he's just like 20 years I've lived here and people still think I'm French
1: so yeah, it's definitely he definitely has th- this outsider he is a aged, totally alone person,
0: yeah but Jap says, you gotta let this go. I'm gonna throw away these letters and we're gonna have dinner and Jap goes to throw away the letters and of course cuz it has to happen he dies of a heart attack. So Jap is dead. He goes to the Poirot goes to the funeral where he runs into Chrome. Chrome graciously agrees to talk to him. So back in his office, Chrome is just like, "What do you mean this is what's going on?" and Poirot is like, "Look, I got this letter. The murder was supposed to have happened yesterday, March 31st." So Chrome has a big deal about his man come in and tell him all the crimes that happened in Andover yesterday, none of which are anybody being murdered. And in the report that the Chrome's assistant gives, he says that somebody threw a rock through the tobacconist's window and Alice Asher didn't answer the door, but the cop assumed that she, that just meant that she was down at the pub. So he put some paper over the window and went on his way. And that night, during his prayers, he's kneeling and praying because he's devout, apparently. Poirot is like, oh, shoot. She didn't answer the door because she's dead. Yeah. Like, she didn't care about the window because she's dead. So he hops on a train. He gets up there. He discovers her dead. And that's where we're at.
1: Well, I want to point out one other thing. Please do. So Rupert Grint, you said he was gracious or that Inspector Crom is gracious. He is... He puts up with yeah. Hercule Poirot, yes, but he's he he's tolerant, but really, ba- I feel like very basic because he is very derisive. Oh, he's of, very
0: derisive and dismissive about um, him. Of him. Yeah. him
1: having spent all the time in those country houses doing murder parties, right? And Hercules is like, oh, well, this is going to go nowhere because this guy thinks that I'm just a classic, classist clown. clown who plays for the riches and the, the richies and the masses, those non, those aristocracy people who don't give a shit about the common man. Right. And,
0: the landed people. The,
1: and also don't. Care about what real murder is. That murder is actually a terrible, unfair. I mean, unfair. It's a crime. It's a a, a, a crime. It's a crime
0: as opposed to this elegant, weirdly aesthetic thing.
1: Yeah. So Rupert Grint's character, Chrome, is is dismissive. Very dismissive,
0: and humiliates him. Like the whole point of having the assistant come in is to humiliate. Poirot, and in fact, they do. They start. They make fun of his beard because his beard is dyed, and like, the, but the dye starts seeping down, and they make fun of that, and just the fact. Why is why is your face melting? So Poirot goes home and washes it all out before he has his prayers. Yeah. All right. So, who did it? If it wasn't Alexander Bonaparte Cust, who was it?
1: I think it's somebody. That we have not met. Because here's the other thing about this. When Alexander... Not Dumas. Bonaparte Cust gets to London and goes to that... That staying the house. house. The yeah, house. Sure. What's it called? The boarding house. The boarding house where he is. He is horrified
0: Yes, by he absolutely is. The, by this, by the, the mother
1: selling out the daughter. Yeah. And so I... While... So I just think he's a a nice...
0: Just a nice, slightly awkward boy.
1: Boy, yeah, who's run into somebody at a coffee shop who is stealing his identity. Yeah, I'm going to say he is an older man who also feels alone. Mm -hmm. And also feels left behind by um, society and wants to feel smart After all, yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, whoever it is definitely wants to humiliate Poirot as well and like show that he is smarter than Poirot, yeah.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Somebody who is actually a national, same with him, a nationalized citizen who is, yeah, trying to create some sort of commonality.
0: Okay, so you're going for another Belgian. I am going for straight up Alexander Bonaparte Cust. Uh, So that's that. Um, and
1: I think that this guy is going to show up with a crazy mustache, and it's going to be like, whoa, cause he's,
0: epic, yeah, epic mustache, yeah. Okay, okay, because that is my, that is where, that is exactly where I wanted to go. Oh, okay. What do we think? How many more, like, speaking characters will have facial hair? Before you answer, let me just say that I was absolutely going to base my guesses on. Whoever had the most amazing facial hair, like it was straight up going to be like, who are the suspects? Who has the best facial hair? Them. Okay. Th- that's what I was going that to do for it. That, diagram was, that was that was, that was my murderer. methodology entering into this, and I'm a little bummed that I didn't get to do it. Oh, so I'm
1: sorry. That's,
0: no, it's okay. It's not your fault. So, how many more? How many more speaking roles do we think will have facial hair? And I we will we'll, we'll do this as an over under. There are three three episodes three hours, 180 minutes. There are at least 20 men with speaking roles. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Two of them already have facial hair with Rupert Grint and Poirot. One of them did not. Jap did not. Mm -hmm. His Chrome's assistant did not. So two of them did not have facial hair. So we're at a 50-50 mark right now. If we've got at least 20 speaking roles for men, that would mean at least 10 people had facial hair. So that's our point. 10 facial hairs in this in over the three episodes what do you think more or less
1: i'm taking the under
0: you're taking the under yeah okay okay And you're gonna take the- i think i think i want to take the over all i think right. i want to take the over i think there's gonna be a lot a lot happening there and by the way this is not a mustache i said facial hair so like sideburns mustache beard oh, goatee wow. like i'm just like okay. facial hair all right and i'm looking forward to it like bring it bring me all the facial hair waxed combed puffed up, slicked down. I want all the facial hair. Yeah. All right. So we got the over-under, we got the Pink Floyd Led Zeppelin, we got ABC versus another bitter, another bitter Belgian. All right. So we're going to go watch us some TV. We'll be right back. I need you with me, Jess. Eyes on I'm me, Jess. Sorry. Eyes on me. Yeah. Let's, yeah, go. Yeah. let's go. Let's
1: <laughs> go. Yes, let's go. Let's go. let go. go. Because, because I won. I like fully won. Well, okay.
0: Okay. Okay. Yes. You fully won. I will give you that you fully won. But you, but you had it wrong with the Belgian part.
1: All right. Fine. But I won.
0: <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it
1: was a 50-50 chance because right. it was like, it is the ABC guy. ABC, it is right. Alexander Bonaparte. Bonaparte Cust. Cust. <laughs>
0: or it is not.
1: Or it is not. And, and I was like, it is not.
0: Yes, and I took the it is, and guess what? Of course it wasn't.
1: Who in their right mind
0: would have chosen that the first suspect in an Agatha Christie movie or book or whomever would actually be the person who did it? You were
1: super convinced. You were ready to like dump this show and start over with a whole other one. And I was like, I did all this
0: research. (laughs) No. To be fair, you were kind of on edge too until you did your Google search. We thought this was going to be some like artsy fartsy deconstruction of this where they're just like we know who the bad guy is now it's just all about how it does or at least yeah, i was convinced cozy, that it might be that pretty yeah it's all gonna be about style and instead we got,
1: it was called a mystery it was so yeah.
0: you had faith You had faith. And you were right. You were rewarded for your faith. Congratulations. I hereby bestow you the medal of a point. Uh, You know what? You win in addition to the medal. What? And the accolades. What? You win a recap. Ah! (gasps) Amazing! So here we go. So if you remember when we last left our hero, Perot, he had found the body of the tobacconist, Alice Asher. So the murders were happening just as he said they would. And no one believed him. Again... Okay, I'm going to put out a rule here. Like, you don't have to believe every crank who comes into your police department claiming to be a consulting detective. <laughs> but if that person is named Perot or Sherlock Holmes, believe them. Just maybe just yeah. start there. Save everybody a lot of heartache. Yeah. Anyways, so he made a prom. So he's at the. he's standing over this woman and he makes a promise to the dead woman that he will find the person that did this. So then we meet, we meet our next victim, Betty Barnard. You see how this is going, A, B, C. She, we meet her, she's sneaking back into her bedroom after a night carousing. She shares a bedroom with her sister, her long-suffering sister, Megan. And Betty is horrible to Megan. Betty has stolen Megan's boyfriend and is now engaged. Not just her boyfriend, Megan was engaged to this man. Betty stole him away and is now engaged to him. But... Betty feels no guilt or compunction about this. She's just like, you know what? I did you a favor by showing you what an awful man he was, and I'm going to leave him, and you just need to like be aware of that. And,
1: and it turns out she is not wrong.
0: She is not wrong. Perot gets another letter telling him where the next murder will be. Jessica, okay, you got the murderer right, but you also said that this, this would be in Brighton. You were wrong about that, too. Oh,
1: right. (laughs) Yeah, it was in Brexhill.
0: Brexhill, I believe, is what I have, yes. So lo and behold, our man ABC, Alex Cust, is already there. He is in a cafe, and he's being served by Betty, who apparently, as a day job, is a saucy little waitress. She takes some stockings from him to be like, oh, I like these. But then she's like, oh, I don't pay for things. Men give me things. And you, my dear virgin, this is as close as you're ever going to get to my legs. Bye-bye. Yeah. She is kind of a witch. Yeah. So anyways, this sounds like a good time though for you to tell me about the real actor behind this witch. So why don't you tell me about Megan and Betty Jessica?
1: Okay. Well, Bronwyn James plays Megan Barnard and she is known for a movie. A couple of folks uh, are in this and I, I'm i not familiar with it. It's called The Dig. It came out in 2021. It's starring Ralph Fiennes. And then what I am excited to say is that she is in Harlots. Oh! She's one of the, I, I don't, she's, she's one of the regulars. Mm-hmm. She's not a lead, but she's one of the regular characters. Uh, she's one of the Harlots. Uh, she, it's a great, which is a fantastic soapy show. I am such a huge fan of it. Very complicated female protagonist, fully developed characters of color, taking place in 18th century London. Oh, and Bronwyn is also in Ghosts. The British oh, version. Oh. She plays one of the wives or the brides who's getting married um, at the oh, house. Oh, that's right. The successful totally weddings. Oh. The successful winter weddings that they have. That and, is
0: awesome. Uh, yes. We love ghosts.
1: Then Betty Barnard is played by Eve Austin, who is known for Fearless, 2017 movie Print, 2018 movie Inside Number Nine from 2015. Um, I, however, liked her very first credit, which was four episodes of a show called In the Flesh, oh. which is... Okay, Here, listen to this description. Totally not what I was expecting.
0: I have no idea what this is.
1: <laughs> four years after the rising, the government starts to rehabilitate the undead for re-entry <laughs> into society, including teenager Kieran Walker, who returns to his small Lancashire village to face a hostile reception as well as his own demons. <laughs> I'm totally not expecting that at all. Fair enough. That's lovely. Well, she
0: is also at a nightclub that evening. Yes. She's at a nightclub and ABC is also there. I'm just going to refer to Alex Bonaparte Cust as ABC. Yeah. So ABC is also there. He uh, He's playing backgammon and he sees her come in and he confronts her. Uh, but before he can get any money from her, Megan and the fiancé Don show up. And I must say, we finally get some good facial hair in this episode. Don, the fiancé, has an amazing moustache. It's He
1: gorgeous. really does. It really takes the cake. Uh, and I, I want to say that he looks nothing. It This moustache, mustache, moustache, if, you wish, if you prefer, <laughs> sure. is it hides a, an extremely handsome man. Oh. Yeah, because I can't even, like, I was taken, I I was like, wait, who did he play? (laughs) When I went back to look at him and, you know, like my research, because I were just, I remember these images that that are in his IMDb profile and being like taken away by like, oh my gosh, he's a really good looking young man, (laughs) a really good looking, yeah, so, and he's played by, um, well, you didn't ask, but I'm just going to tell you. Okay,
0: you are really excited to get to him. Please continue. He
1: is oh, where is it? Oh, he is played by Jack Farthing, which
0: is <laughs> that like is his? such a British name. I know. I was it's like, like is that he's straight real? from a, Hello so there, I'm Jack Farthing, auditioning today for Don.
1: It's totally a Charles Dickens character. i He's got to have some other name, right? That is not his real two.
0: name. Good, good uh, show. I sir. didn't
1: do like a a huge amount of research to find out if that's a made-up name. Leave him his, like,
0: hotel anonymity, show. Jack Farthing. Tell us about Jack Farthing. So, he's
1: currently on the, well, actually, I'm not sure that this show is still going, but, uh, Poldark. Oh, was on Poldark. Okay, yeah. The very latest Poldark. Mm -hmm. Uh, he plays George Farlegen, and he guest starred on an episode of Poirot. He's also in two shows called The Riot Club, which is... Oh my god, it's like... All these like super handsome, like Eton r- looks like super rich boarding school boys. You're saying
0: handsome and super pretty and amazingly good looking around this man. Entirely too much for I, my comfort. Well,
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you want to see these pictures, you'll be like, oh, yes, that is
0: Go to the objectively Insta- <laughs> correct. <laughs> Go to the Instagram feed for all the details. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they will be littered there.
1: But yeah, do check out his IMDb.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> (laughs) Well, as good looking as he may be, Betty cares not. She sends him away and goes off to her carousing nightlife. The next morning, Perot gets a letter directing him to Bexhill. And as he walks the beach, he discovers Betty in a changing tent on the beach, strangled by a stocking mm-hmm. poor betty this is what happens to loose women in these stories
1: <laughs> yes thanks agatha christie <laughs> Thanks, Judgey, agatha. judge Judgey, judge
0: judge judger way to uphold the patriarchy <laughs> agatha yeah <laughs> when perot goes to inspect the cafe where betty worked we see that there is a picture of him hanging inside the cafe signed by him like he's a hollywood celebrity like much love perot or something like that um after that little sequence though, we are introduced to our next victim, Churston Carmichael Clark. He's got a secretary named Thora, a sexy young Minx, a younger brother named Franklin, and a dying wife named Hermione. Carr and Thora decide to go for a walk, and Hermione, jealous Hermione, tells her brother tells her brother-in-law Franklin, Carr's younger brother, you just go with them and watch over them, because I don't want any funny business happening between them. Mm-hmm. So, Jess. Tell us all about Hermione and the secretary she despises so much.
1: Yes, so Tara Fitzgerald uh, plays Lady Hermione Clark. She was Celyse Baratheon on Game of Thrones, who is the wife of Stannis Baratheon, the pretender whose child is burned by the Red Witch. (gasps) That is Hermione? Yes. Wow. Okay. I did not recognize her at all. Yeah, no kidding. Me neither. It's... a Big transformation. Yeah. Also, she is in *Waking the Dead*, which oh. we watched in our first season. Yes, we did. And she plays Dr. Eve Lockhart, the coroner. Um, she comes in the later seasons. Okay,
0: that's why we didn't. So we didn't. Yeah. We didn't actually see her. Okay.
1: Yeah, but she she takes over that that section of the you know
0: right the coroner the
1: coroner type role. Uh, so yeah, great stuff. She has a fantastic resume and. We can see her in like a million things. Thora Gray is played by Freya Maver, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly.
0: All apologies if not.
1: Yes. Um, she was in The White Queen... She was in a show called *Skins* that was kind of her breakout role. Um, it was a, which also
0: is... a zombie show. No, um, it now. is
1: not. I thought it was actually, <laughs> but no. *Skins* is a story of a group of British teens who are trying to grow up and find love and happiness despite questionable parenting and teachers who want to be more than friends—oh my—lovers rather than authority figures. Oh
0: my! Very that disturbing. Is, that is not appropriate.
1: Yeah, she's also currently in a show called Industry, which is young bankers and traders make their way in the financial world in the aftermath of the 2008 collapse, which sounds very interesting. Mm. Uh, And she is also listed on IMDb. Maybe you've heard of these things. Um, The lady in the car with the glasses and a gun. That was in 2015. The sense of an ending in 2017. The Emperor of Paris, which was two thousand eighteen pre-pandemic, and Sunshine on mm-hmm. Leith, which was a two thousand thirteen, and um, also a
0: Proclaimer song.
1: Oh, is that, maybe that I didn't look it up. So
0: oh, that's fine. I th- I think I'm right on that. I think Sunshine on Leith is a Proclaimer song okay. or an album. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. In any event, back in London, our man ABC is positively obsessing. Over the daughter of his wretched landlord. So I don't know if you remember this, but the landlord's name is I think Rose. I think his yes. started. The landlord's name is Rose, and she mm. is a drunken piece of work yeah. who uh, pimps out her daughter Lily. But he ABC is still kind of smitten by Lily. Um, he like keeps watching her like hang out the laundry and just kind of like looking at her legs like in various angles. And so he struggles with a way to kind of meet Lily. And, you know, she just takes the bull by the horns and walks right up to him and sells herself to him for a shilling.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing is, and I don't, this must be in the book, but um, Rose Marbury, the mother, Mm -hmm. says she's really good with the guy's backs. Yes. And so you're like, is she like some sort of chiropractor on the side or something? But no, you're like, oh, she's on her back probably.
0: Yeah. So they go off and do their thing, which we are meant to believe is... Uh, but back at the Carmichael house, there's a bit of a row over dinner. Lady Hermione throws wine at Thor. Is it
1: row or row?
0: Row, you're right. There oh, okay. is, I was trying to be all proper and say it correctly, <laughs> and I said it completely wrong. There's a row. There's a row at dinner. Lady Hermione throws wine at Thora, calling her a climber, and not even waiting until she's dead to climb into Carr's bed. And as we pan past the scene... We see a picture of the family of Lady Hermione and her family and guests, and Perot is at the center of it. Turns out he was there years earlier hosting a murder dinner birthday party for Lady Hermione on her birthday. And so it's like happy birthday murder party with Perot on it. So now Perot is linked to two of these people. Yeah. Um, Perot, for his part, when he returns to London, he finds Inspector Crome ransacking his apartment chrome chrome got a warrant because perot has been withholding evidence perot objects but chrome is like uh uh no this is how it's going to be you are not going to we are not going to fall into the same trap that jap did trusting you when he shouldn't have jap for years apparently believed that perot was a police officer in belgium and that is why he like accepted his help but chrome has done some digging and it turns out that Perot is not a cop. That wasn't true. So he raises the central question of this whole miniseries, which is who exactly is Perot? And on that existential crisis, we cut to a super creepy scene of ABC having some like some weird fit in bed.
1: He's like epileptic.
0: Epileptic or something. And Grand
1: the, Mall seizure. Grand mall
0: seizure, and the episode ends. Yeah. So we end with this weird, creepy scene with our main suspect killer, and the police calling in a question Perot's very identity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, he, yeah, he's getting it on all sides. Like, yeah. his identity, like, who he was... And who he said he was. And it's I I like
0: this. I like how they brought it back to that because it makes it like it's this is no longer just a puzzle. You know what I mean? This like now it really is like a very personal story. There are personal stakes for Perot in this. On episode two, we pick right back up with the angst people. It's a flashback to nineteen fourteen. Perot is in line, in some like customs line, to be let into the country as a refugee. And they're asking him what his occupation was, and we see him lie about being a policeman.
1: Isn't there also, though, a flashback to something that you feel like it's a, it's a little, the color is a little, you know, it, these there are lots of flashbacks. There lots of
0: flashbacks to in the episode. To some sort of evidence really in the, am, the coming
1: war to Belgium, and he is, and there's a, like a man crying. Look. Crying, a young man crying. And you're not sure, is this Poirot? Right. Young man crying or is this somebody else? Because it's just the eyes, yeah. like it's, right above the nostrils.
0: Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. But you're right. There are, there are lots of... there, And this episode really ups the flashbacks. Yeah. So like, I'm not going to recap all the flash times there's a flashback, but yeah. that's part of it. In any event, we see him live up being a policeman, just as we see in today's world, the policeman assistant ransacking his apartment again. And taking the latest batch of letters because he's not allowed to be like he's not allowed to be investigating receiving this evidence, case. And yeah. yeah. So after that, we go out to the country where Lady Hermione is in dire straits. She's coughing up blood, very close to death. Yes. Everybody's upset, including Carmichael and Thora, in what I am sure is just the best of intentions to comfort Carmichael, leans in and gives him a kiss, which we all knew was coming. But
1: right on the lips. Right on the there lips. There was no question. No subtle. Like
0: She's just going in. I'm going to kiss you. Yeah. But Carmichael, to his credit, is shocked. Shocked. And I was like, oh, that's a fun little twist. And he's all like, I love my wife. What are you doing? He he fires her on the spot. He's like, you get a week to pack your things and make other arrangements, but you're out. You're done. And she is super upset. She's so upset. She goes outside to smoke. And guess who's outside? A B, C, a, B, C, with his box of hose that he's trying to sell. And he's
1: eating a sandwich and just sort of like, do, 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 do.
0: Here I am. Yes. That night, Carmichael goes out for a walk, but alone this time because he's not happy with Thora. And he gets whacked with a shovel. He, like, he yeah. like, gets hit upside the head. And then it, like the way they make the shot, it's like the shovel comes down and decapitates him. Yeah. It's really gruesome. So he's whacked at night. And Perot has been sitting by his door all day waiting for a letter that has never come. But his neighbor shows up, and his neighbor has an envelope for him, and apparently the postman put it into her box instead. He reprimands her, and then he dives into the letter. And when he sees where the next murder is, he's like, oh no. Now that he knows it's going to be a C, he knows who it is. He immediately calls the Carmichael's. Like He knows who these people are. He calls them, and he tries to warn them, but the call arrives too late. Franklin comes to the phone and rushes outside. And Carmichael's dead. Yeah. And at this point, the nation goes apeshit. Perot is being accused of being a foreigner and messing up the case. Chrome is being raked over the coals. It's bad all over, people. And of course, Perot is still having flashbacks. Now, now the flashbacks include, in in addition to the man's eye crying, there is a man running through golden fields of wheat shouting, they're coming, they're coming, before like the sound of a gunshot and him just dropping into the fields of wheat yeah. and then that's interspersed with people huddling in a church hiding underneath pews. it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful, it's visceral, it's haunting. it's haunting Perot clearly but it's like zero explanation or anything for yeah. him. but it's gorgeous. Luckily though, Perot will still have a chance to solve this case that's haunting him because the cops may not want him but Carmichael's brother Franklin does. Franklin thinks that Perot's is the only one who can get to the bottom of this and hires him on as a private investigator to solve it all. And to help him, Franklin has brought in Betty's family, Megan, Don, and the mother to help, like, to give information. And as he does, as Perot goes to, like, walks into the mansion to question them, we see that Thora has this amazing new haircut. It's like this bob. It's a wedge bob. It's cut. It's styled really clean. It's
1: red. It's
0: red. It's edgy, and she is now a dangerous and it woman. A people has
1: little curly Q right. right at her. Oh cheek, yeah, she bone. is.
0: She is. She is not to be trusted. People. You know. So after questioning the bees, Betty's family, Perot heads back to Andover to see if there's any clues that he missed there. Now that he knows that this is in sequence, and he's back on it, and he's aware that there, he has a connection to all of these people. He finds a clue about stockings in the fireplace, a little bit of a stocking container, and his connection to that murder. Apparently, he helped deliver a baby on a refugee train that had stopped over in Andover. Yeah. Our main suspect, ABC, is having some amazing fits. He's having all sorts of seizures and is also clearly being tortured by something. But he's also forming a true connection to Lily. The, uh, the daughter, again, the abused daughter of the house where he lives, he he gives her another shilling, but instead of doing the horizontal bop, what's happening is that he is asking her to tie him up and walk on his back, digging her broken heels into these horrible wounds he has there, telling her to go deeper and deeper as that's the only way to let the evil out.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's gross!
0: Super gross! And
1: we, th- I think that later on we find out that her sh- that her heel is broken, right. and that these it's little really holes are because it, of her because shoes. of her
0: shoes. <laughs> like it's really stabbing into him. Yes. Yeah. It's gross. It's letting all the evil out. So Jessica, let all the IMD be out about these two.
1: Okay. <laughs> so Anya, Carl- Charlotta or Carlotta or Carl- Carlatra or. Uh, Sorry, I'm mispronouncing your name. Plays Lily Marbury. And she has a fun resume, but the thing that I just want to say about her <laughs> is that she plays Yennefer on The Witcher. Wh- so great. <laughs> I freaking love that show. And she is fabulous.
0: She's really cementing herself as a really great actress in this, I feel like. She's, yes. Yeah, she's doing The Witcher, and she's great in The Witcher. She really is. And But then you look at this, and you're like, oh, no, she can do a lot. Like, she's yeah. quite good.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then Amen Farron, who plays ABC, mm-hmm. is also currently on The Witcher. <laughs> he plays Kahir, who is the one of the bad knight, guys. Va- the guy with the feather. The guy with the feather, the knight with the feather helmet who scares the princess. And also, he's also on the Twin Peaks reboot. Oh. And a, and a couple of other things, too, of note. But those, I'm just so excited to see you, them. You
0: will forgive me that when you pointed that out to me at some point, because I was like, who is that? I know who that is. She's like, oh, yeah, that's Jennifer from Witcher. And do you know who he is? Yeah, he's the knight from Witcher. At this point, I'm like, okay, so now I know that, like, ABC is not our guy. And I'm half expecting Henry Cavill to show up as right. the murderer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. No, Henry Cavill was busy doing Superman. He
0: possibly. <laughs> I couldn't possibly have done this.
1: But you know, it's interesting, they are in this film together, like yeah. she's stepping on his back. They've got
0: good chemistry.
1: Uh they never I mean, at least in the books they are never ever ever together on screen
0: right by the way she's talking about the Witcher books and the Witcher not the Agatha Christie novels yeah, yeah, who yeah. knows what happens
1: <laughs> yeah sorry I, I don't know the Agatha Christie novel also want to mention Shirley Henderson who plays Rose Marbury the mother of Lily Marbury she's the the boarding house owner drunken mm, yeah, uh-huh. abuser seller off of daughters
0: <laughs> um, none of these are great titles no
1: no <laughs> What an amazing freaking resume Shirley Henderson has. Holy smokes, she has been in so much stuff. Oh, my gosh. Not least, we should mention, she plays Moaning Myrtle <gasps> in Harry Potter movies. In the <laughs> Harry Potter movies.
0: So it was like old times with Rupert Grint.
1: Yes. Oh, my gosh. And she was in the Bridget Jones Diary franchise. Oh. She plays one of the good friends. She was also in Train Spotting like she was the lead female in train spotting.
0: What? The, wait, that was her?
1: Yes. Oh
0: my god, all these people are like bringing it for yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh-oh, at this point, gentle listener, I hope you can all realize that our man ABC, he's not behind all this because let's face it, even I can see that this is too on the nose. He's clearly not our man. Well, Hercule does keep investigating and he goes back to the Carmichael's where where he tries to get Thora to explain where she got her new stockings from. He's really on the trail of these stockings. But Thora gets upset and refuses to answer his questions and uh, runs out of the room where Franklin goes and tries to comfort her. And so Thora now seemingly has Franklin wrapped around her little Mm. finger and you're like, oh, that girl, she's a climber. Yep. So anyways, Perot is stumped. He goes to see his priest, who begs him to go to confession to reveal his secrets and be cleansed. But Perot is not amused. He's like, "God forgives, but I do not."
1: I love that line. (laughs) It's a great
0: line. Such
1: a great, (laughs) such a great line. Like, what a button.
0: Yeah, but Perot does get a new letter, and now it's time to go to the D's. This time, our murder victim will be Dexter Dooley and his ventriloquist dummy in Duncaster. Uh, So Chrome and Perot race up there on the train. Dexter has some words with a comedian and the comedian is a bit of an asshole. Uh, And the the ventriloquist, who's a bit of a drunk, is like, look, you better not try and pull anything to me like you did with this other comedian at this other venue. I saw what you did. You can't do anything to mess up my actor. I'll come at you. And the comedian is like, yeah, whatever, old man, I'm going to do what I want to do. So a couple scenes later, you see the comedian glue one of the dummies eyes shut in a hope that will, like, that that will, like, wreck his act. Mm-hmm. And this scene, this is the scene that absolutely <laughs> won me over on this show. I was like, okay, it's nice. Up until here, it's, like, a little mannered. But after this, I was like, oh, yes, I am with you, filmmakers. Because this, <laughs> the sound on the show is amazing. The visuals on the show is ama- are amazing. Imagistic, the lighting is poetic, but it, it, it still felt a little sterile, a little mannered until this scene. So the, the comedian glues the dummy's eyes shut and then he goes to take a piss and it's backstage at this old Victorian vaudeville house. So he's not actually using indoor plumbing. There's this a literal piss pot that he's pissing in and it's behind yeah. this thing. As he goes into the stall, it turns out that the glue isn't very good. So this <laughs> freaking dummy, ventriloquist's dummy from the 30s, all wooden and creepy, the glue separates and his eye slowly opens and it's creepy as fuck. And you watch some of the murder, like the reflection of this guy taking a piss in this Victorian piss pot and the knife coming down and killing this guy and the blood going everywhere and this dummy's face and it was just, oh my god, it was amazing and i was like yes yes i am all in take me anywhere i am yours <laughs> it was awesome it was so good i like literally if you just watch it no that's not even true there are some other scenes coming up that i really yes. want you to get to as well yeah. but it's just that is a scene that just all in all in at that moment people yeah. anyways the cops find the murdered comedian But guess what? It was a mistake because the comedian, it was supposed to be the ventriloquist, not the comedian. His name doesn't start with a D. So Poirot was like, oh, oh, this is bad. There's going to be, he's made a mistake and now there's going to be catastrophic slaughter. And so we're on episode three. three. So it's a final episode and things are bleak. He's having nightmares and more flashbacks to the coming of the war in Belgium. The man being shot in the field of weed. People panicking. In the present, Chrome is getting grilled by the press and trying to ignore them. Everybody's having an awful, awful time, including Thora. Thora, back at the Carmichael house. She's all hoity-toity towards the help, and now it's clear she's sleeping with Franklin. And Lily, our abused innkeeper's daughter, she is having feelings for ABC. She's, like, putting blankets over him, and she's trying to tell him, like, I don't think you're right in the head, which... Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. he's not.
1: Because he's not. also had a couple of other seizures at yeah. this point, too. Yeah.
0: So anyways, we all know it comes after D, the letter E. I mean, at least I hope you knew that. You knew that, right? <laughs> anyways, so our man ABC wakes up in a bathroom in Embassy, E-M-B-S-A-Y. Embassy, Embassy. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it because I'm American. Anyways, he's got blood all over him and a dagger in his hand. He yes. checks the stalls and yep... There's a dead body uh, with a directory of trains open to the letter E and blood everywhere. ABC freaks out, especially when he hears somebody coming in to use the bathroom. It's a very tense scene when yeah. he hides in a stall and has to like gradually like take his hat out from underneath so like people yes. can't see it. Great scene. The station manager, however, does find the dead body and immediately rushes out to call the cops. Our man ABC runs out, he runs into people. He's got
1: the knife in he's his hand. He's got the knife still. in his hand still. He's it's... got this jacket and the hat on. Yeah. And he has his bag with the right. twinkle toes and
0: the twinkle toes and hose. The books. And he just like the yeah, ABC he runs away and sheds it. But, yeah. And as he's running away, he sheds it all. He tries to get away. But the like the people there are chasing him. At back at the crime scene, Poirot finds a package of the hose in the dead man's briefcase. So at this point, and now he has a whole package. It's the Twinkle Toes Hose Company. But you know what he doesn't find? He doesn't find any facial hair on the station manager.
1: Dang it. Jacob. <laughs> I
0: have to... Like, I am very disappointed in my facial hair tally at this point. We ha- I think I set the point at like 10. Yeah. Which I thought was a very reasonable number. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you, other than Don, we have not seen any other facial no. hair. I, I'm i a little upset about this.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I wanted more facial hair because... Uh, guys I'm just here to say clearly I lost everything across the row on this episode <laughs> couldn't even get some good facial well, hair I
1: thought it was funny because the guy who plays the lieutenant to Chrome yes um his headshot is actually him with like really loose flowing hair mm-hmm. and this fantastic beard but in this TV show he is super clean shaven super clean shaven. and it is all about his cheekbones (laughs) like his creepy cheekbones are like you know on display in every single scene
0: yeah i took the over and i regretted it oh well anyways at this point perot knows who the hose manufacturer is so he goes and questions the hose manufacturer who has no record of selling anything to abc but says that abc did write them a letter saying thanking them for the coat and the hat and that they will follow and that he would follow their instructions to the letter and they're like we don't send people a coat, and we don't give people instructions.
1: Yeah. And also, this—I there were so many things about this that were so great and just easily, right. easy to narrow down. I was like, "Oh, good job, Agatha Christie!" If this was actually her thing. But when he goes, he says, "I need a a I need a list of all your salesmen, all your reps," and he's like, "Okay." But the one's in London. And the owner is like, I don't have any salespeople in London. I don't like any of those. He's racist, again. Like, I don't like any of those cockneys. And he's like, I only sell the people in the north. And then the secretary comes in and she's like, oh, no, we've got one guy in London. Yeah. Just this one guy. And he's like, what? I told you no people in London. He's like, "Uh, I I don't know. He
0: paid cash in full up front. What do you want?
1: Yeah, it was a bunch of money. And so I just did it. Yeah.
0: So they don't question it, but Poirot does, because now he's like, okay, it looks like this guy is being set up. Doesn't matter the cops, though, because now that they know who it is, they have an address for ABC, they immediately go to the slum to capture him. He's not there, but they do find the typewriter, the directories, all of his box of hoes. Lily sees all this happening, and she sneaks out to meet ABC and head him off at the train station and she warns him not to go home that the cops are looking for him but the cops are right there because they've been chasing Lily and the chase is on and it's on foot and this was an amazing chase. This was beautiful. There were stark yes. images of his face and trains going over bridges and arches and the cops behind him. It was it was incredibly imagistic. Like at one point you were yes. even saying it looked like Sergei Eisenstein yeah. stuff. And it absolutely did. Like the it was
1: chrome as he like looks back. It was uh, so noir. It, it was or uh, Hitchcock. Yes. At one point yes. where the, his head is just kind of in the corner of the screen and then there's this gigantic water duct or maybe it's like a it's train, a train bridge. bridge over
0: him because there's another shot where the train goes over yeah. it and it's just.
1: and he's looking back and it's so fascinating but oh
0: and it's there's this gorgeous scene where like he tries to escape the cops by running across a rail yard switching yard yeah. with all of these lines like timing the trains and when they're going and where they're going and how he's going to do it and the cops aren't going to do it because it looks like suicide yeah. but he's going to do it because otherwise he's dead but as he's going across this train track he trips and falls and it looks like he breaks his ankle or badly yeah. sprains it. And so he's sitting on the tracks, this train is coming at him, and at the last second the train gets switched to another track. But then they just focus on his face, and the train is like just inches away from him. And his face is like, it's ashy, because it's literally ashy and sooty from being on the tracks, and he's in pain and it's writhing. But the wind from the passing train is like pressing against his face. Face and making the flesh kind of like shake and vibrate on his face. It's astonishing. Yes. Like that sequence, again, that sequence is just amazing. It was beautiful. So that's it, right? I mean, back at ABC's apartment, Chrome is pleased with himself. He's caught the guy. He's ple- Chrome is pleased that Jap thought well of him. So now seems like a good time for Jess to tell us all about Chrome and Jap.
1: Oh, okay. Chrome we know, is Rupert Grint, who is very famous for Harry Potter, playing Ron Weasley. And Jap, who we remember from the very beginning, he had the heart attack, is played by Kevin McNally. And he has been acting since the 70s. Of course, he has an incredible, long, long Mm -hmm. uh, resume. But you... Listeners will probably more recently recognize him for all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. What? Yeah, he's in basically all of them. Oh! He plays Gibbs.
0: Which one's Gibbs? I, I don't know. One <laughs>
1: the lead guys.
0: One of, one of the guys. One of he's, the, one of the he's one of the pirates.
1: famous pirates besides Captain Johnny Jack Death, Sparrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Advisor to mm-hmm. Captain Jack Sparrow. Sort of like his second, I guess. Yeah. Interesting uh, other fact about him. In 1977, he got his big screen debut as HMS Ranger Crewman in the James Bond adventure, The Spy Who Loved Me.
0: Aww.
1: Yeah. So he started on a James Bond. That's Good a, for him. Yeah. Very good.
0: Yeah, it's a great way to start out. Yeah. Well, great. There you go. But Crow may be convinced that he's got the right guy, but Poirot is not. And after Chrome leaves, Lily comes in and busts up the timeline. She says there's no way ABC could have done the murder and gotten home in time for her to be
1: walking all over him. Yeah, because by the way, we all know now because when they take him, when the cops take him from the train station, they have to take him basically to the hospital because he's having another grand mal seizure and it turns out he has a big brain tumor. Brain tumor. Yeah. And that is why he's been having all these epileptic seizures. That's why he's not well.
0: Mm-hmm. Boy, he's not well. And he's blacking out. And he's blacking out and like he needs the, the the pain in the back is the only thing that like distracts him from the pain in his head. Yeah. Uh, perot Poirot visits him in the hospital and finds out about this, and he also finds out that he was given the coat to look like Perot and the instructions of where to go and when to be there. He says he's good at instructions, not so good at thinking for himself, but he definitely doesn't want to be a monster. So at this point, Obviously, I think everybody's heart is with him.
1: Yeah. And Poirot says, You are not a monster. You
0: are. That's right. It's very nice. Oh, and
1: Poirot also finds out that this all started because he played backgammon with somebody Mm, and mm -hmm. lost. And
0: lost. And so the friend was like, The generous
1: man who he lost to said, I can help you out by getting you a job so you can pay me back.
0: Yes. So now Poirot really knows that he was set up. It's just a matter of who. That evening, Franklin, Carmichael's brother, Comes to visit Poirot and thank him for finding the killer. Franklin also says that Poirot is looking better, more like himself, and every man needs a purpose. And Franklin has found his in Thora, whom he loves and has proposed to and will marry. He says that he was concerned for Poirot, which kind of... Echoes in Perot a little bit because that was one of the things that in the letters, the man writing the letters or person writing the letters said that he was concerned for Perot. Mm -hmm. So little bells go off in Perot's brain and suspicions raised. Perot confronts Thora and finds a coat and a hat that looks like his in her closet. She refuses to blame Franklin, but Franklin's fingerprints are all over the typewriter that was in ABC's apartment. Chrome arrests Franklin, and then there's the obligatory flashback sequence where we see how he did it all. Congratulations. Yes, that's right. Franklin, the younger brother, the aristocrat did it. It was not our ABC killer. Mm-hmm. That's how Jessica got her point. I hope the metal suits- I mean, the metal looks really good on you, I have to say. Oh, it really it, it, it works well with your hair and like the eyes. So I think that I think the, I think the designers did a good job on that. So oh, nice.
1: Yeah. You wear
0: it well. But any event. At the end of the flashback and how they all did it, Chrome asks Perot once again what he was in his past life to make him like this. And Perot again refuses to divulge his secrets. Then, after the obligatory flashback, here's how we did it. There's a quick sequence where we wrap everything up for all of our other characters. Megan leaves her scummy boyfriend, Don, and sets out on her own. Thora is immediately back trying to seduce another older man who can give her a good position. Rose, the lady who ran the boarding house, is left drunken and alone, calling out for her daughter. While Lily, her daughter, decides to wait for ABC to wake up in the hospital. So that's Mm -hmm. where we all leave those characters And Perot, what do we learn about Perot? How do we end up with Perot? All those flashbacks pay off. There is a beautiful flashback sequence where we learn the truth about him. And all that, like, so the German invasion flashback sequence where there's a man running through the golden wheat fields telling that somebody's coming and then shot dead and he just drops and disappears into the wheat fields. Guess what? Perot was a priest. He was a priest for the town. So when the town panicked, and tried to run away from all the Germans. Perot was like, just come into the church. You will be safe in the church. Come into the church. I will go out there and I will tell them that you, like, I will make sure that they don't harm you. And he goes out of the church and he, like, approaches this German, young German soldier who's crying. Those are the crying eyes that we've seen. Yeah. He approaches a young German soldier. And in the background, you hear this voice of a commander being like, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. But the crying boy can't. Perot convinces him to let down his weapon, but it doesn't matter. The commander shoots the young German soldier and then bludgeons Perot with his weapon. Perot drops unconscious, and when he awakes, Perot wakes up and his church is on fire, engulfed in flames, everybody in dead. Perot watches this from like the field just outside the church, and as he sees the church in flames and everybody dies. Perot also disappears into the wheat.
1: It's gorgeous. Yeah.
0: It's gorgeous. And so, like, I mean, it's so evocative. Like, yeah, like, who was Perot? Doesn't matter. That Perot is dead. Yeah. Just like that other soldier who fell into the wheat. That Perot is dead. Gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, you wait for that. You waited for that image to pay off across all the episodes, and it did. It so did.
1: Yeah. Well yeah, done. because there were those moments uh, in the first episode where he's praying, mm-hmm. and he has his own prayer, like his own kne- kneeling,
0: kneeling bench, yeah. bench.
1: Which I maybe if you're a devout Catholic, you have one have. of your own. Yeah. yeah, and so I was like, oh, he's devout. And then when he goes to church that one time, and the priest is saying, you know, you should, you know, if you just go into the go into
0: the confessional, confessional and you can receive the Eucharist, Eucharist and be absolved. And he's like, you know,
1: I that don't want to go, of, I don't want to go. And so you see, he's he's just really tortured religious his these, spirituality. These is,
0: are the people he has made the these are the dead people he has made the promise to that he is not going to yes. let down.
1: Yeah, yeah. And another thing, uh, a sort of verbal tick that comes up, because that's something that comes up in the show is that Poirot. Is noted as saying "mes enfants," right. and people are like, "Hey, we're not children; we're adults." And he's like, "It's just a thing I say. It's just for, right. it's just it a little bit of flair and, and drama people amused and amusement." In yeah. Bed, yeah. And somebody says to him, "Why do you say that?" And then you find out it was something that he would say to all of his, parishioners. his parishioners. And so it he's was
0: trying to. He's trying to keep everybody safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's a final scene. You think this is the, this, and again, back to the whole idea that like, this isn't just a murder puzzle to solve. Like this was something that like goes to the heart of Perot because you think that, okay, the murder's solved, you're done, right? No, you're not done. You have one final scene where Perot visits Franklin in jail and they have the obligatory kind of like, we're not so different, you and I scene, which would be maudlin, except For how awesome the acting is in this scene. Yes. (laughs) These actors are so on their game in this scene. And honestly, they were on their game the entire episode. So finally, Jessica, tell us a little bit about these actors.
1: So Franklin Clark is played by Andrew Buchan. Or Buchan? B-U-C-H-A-N. According to IMDb, he's known for all the money in the world which was a 2017 movie and a bunch of other stuff. But what I was so excited to find out that he's known for is Broadchurch. He plays Mark Latimer, who is the father of the dead son and a suspect. And he's, he's just a working guy. He's mm-hmm. a plumber in, this, in that show. I did not recognize him. I did not I either. loved Broadchurch. I watched that whole thing. And the whole time I was like, that guy is super recognizable, but I cannot place him. And I hadn't done any research and for it, him until it, we watched the end. And then I was like, oh holy crap. Yeah. That's him. Like oh my 180 God.
0: difference. 180 what an degree actor.
1: difference. Just oh, and amazing. Go,
0: yeah. a just like in physicality and vocal tone and Accent and every like he's just like
1: face like the joy as as a a loose aristocrat you know like this the joie de vivre he he's the younger brother who's just seems like the playboy the playboy yeah he seems like the playboy exactly so just such a an amazing transformation yeah
0: and he goes toe to toe with Malkovich yes. like that. I mean, that really is a heavyweight battle between the two of them. Yes. It's so. Yeah. If you can hold your own with Malkovich, pretty damn good. Yeah. Well done, sir.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing scene. Definitely.
0: Yeah. And Malkovich, of course, dangerous liaisons. Yeah. Steppenwolf forever. Everything, just everything.
1: Oh, you can watch him right now on Space Force. Oh, yeah, Space Force. It's so great. He plays a scientist. <laughs> He's so hilarious. I cannot believe they got him for that show. He, I just want to watch him all the time. No offense, I love Steve Carell, but I just like every scene John Malkovich is in, I'm like, yum, 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 yum.
0: It's just amazing filmmaking all around. Great story. I mean, duh, Agatha Christie. Great acting. Great, I don't know. I'm loved. I, I was so glad we got to watch this.
1: I just want to talk real quick about Sarah Phelps. Who adopted it?
0: Uh yes, please, all Um, the things, Sarah. British
1: television screenwriter, radio writer, playwright, television producer. She's best known for her work on EastEnders, ninety-four episodes of that soap opera which has like a probably a thousand episodes. She's also done a number of BBC serial adaptations, including Agatha Christie's The Witness for the Prosecution, and then There Were None, Ordeal by Innocence, and then of course the ABC murderers, uh, Pale Horse Charles Dickens, The Great Expectations, and Oliver Twist, and JK Rowling's The Casual Vacancy. And she has worked with the Royal Shakespeare Company, so she has a fantastic pedigree. Oh yeah, my
0: goodness! So Listen to, to all those work. things,
1: and like just perfectly lined up for ABC murders. Yeah, really great all job. All of that.
0: Well done, everybody. This mm-hmm. was so great. I was like, you know me. Like, I there's a certain amount of me that really depreciates a nice tight 44 minute American <laughs> procedural, but this was just, I don't know, loved it. So good.
1: Yeah, great so. job.
0: All right. Well, Jessica, wear the medal proudly. Next time I thank will you. try and win it back. Or we can both win it, but like this week is totally yours. I yeah.
1: Oh, so. here's me waving with the, like the queen. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank well well as the parade and, drives and by. Wrist wrist wrist. <laughs> no, elbow, elbow, wrist wrist wrist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, everybody. Follow us on the Grams for beautiful pictures of the actors in this and we'll see you next time. <laughs> see
1: you next time. everybody thanks for listening we really appreciate it
0: and now we want to hear from you
1: tell us your guesses your scores
0: your insider info your favorite logic cop catches and
1: your suggestions for what shows we should watch next follow us and join the fun on
0: twitter at clue dunnit or
1: on instagram and facebook at clue dunnit podcast
0: rate us and review us on apple podcasts to help get the word out
1: because watching tv is always Always better better with with friends. friends Kat is
0: also annoyed with your victory dance. No victory (laughs) dance. You you can't be a sore loser, Kat. You didn't have a guess. Yeah. Or if you did have a guess, we will edit it out because you guys don't, you listeners don't care about the meowing. Maybe you do care about the meowing. Should we have a segment dedicated to Tuesday's guesses? (laughs) Tuesday, what do you think happened?
1: (laughs) Meow. (laughs) Yes.
0: Tuesday, should we feed you earlier? Meow <laughs> <laughs> Scratch
1: scratch 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 scratch, 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 scratch. scratch. scratch.